1: Hello you guys, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct and welcome back to the third episode of Hollow Week. Today's episode is really unlike anything we have ever covered here on Killer Instinct and that's for the reason that today we're going to be talking about almost multiple cases in one and connecting them to one common denominator. When I asked you guys what episodes you wanted to listen to for Halloween, a lot of you said that you wanted to hear a paranormal episode, and that's really not something we've ever dived into on Killer Instinct. So I'm interesting to see how you guys respond to this, because although it's not fully a paranormal case, there are some strange and very terrifying links to this hotel. So I'm interesting to see how you guys respond to this. Today, we are talking about the Cecil Hotel. Now, over the years, the Cecil Hotel has gained a reputation for suicides and other murder connections. They even have gone as far as to change their name at this point to try and disassociate themselves with the pattern of death that followed them. This case is also unlike any that we have ever covered before because instead of just focusing on one case in particular, like I said, we're going to be looking at multiple different mini cases, some of which you guys I'm sure have heard of and some you might have not. I am going to try and make this as cohesive as possible and not just sound like I'm spitting facts out at you. However, I do want to tell you all of the information as clearly and as detail-oriented as I can to make sure you guys have all the facts. So the Cecil Hotel opened its doors in 1927 after a three-year build by a hotel owner named William Banks Hanner. Now the purpose of the Cecil Hotel was to be a destination hotel for businessmen and other wealthy people. William wanted this to be a very elite and prestigious experience for people who stayed there. He spent in total about $1 million on the hotel. By the time it was completed, it had 700 rooms. It also had large stained glass windows, palm trees, a giant staircase, and a marble lobby. Now, when it initially opened, it was widely respected as being a prestigious hotel and a very high-end place to stay, so it lived up to the dreams that William had for it. However, only two years after the hotel was opened was when the Great Depression began on October 24th, 1929. And not only did this have a huge, indescribable impact on the world, it also had a great impact on this hotel. So the Cecil Hotel, which was once known for being pristine, was now an area that is known today as Skid Row. Now for those who have never been to Los Angeles or don't know what Skid Row is, Skid Row is a neighborhood in downtown LA that is home to most of the homeless population in LA. It can also be a very dangerous place. It's not somewhere you would really want to hang around. So because of this, it had a very negative impact on the hotel and its reputation really tarnished because of it cecil soon gained the reputation as being a place where criminals junkies and runaways would come and stay and as time went on it grew to have an even worse label a place for violence and death now let's start from when the hotel first opened up Now, in the hotel's first few years of opening, there were at least six reports of people who had committed suicide, and then the numbers continued to go up after that. So, I'm going to walk you through the dates and the deaths of these people. It is important to remember, though, that the first few suicides occurred when the Great Depression began, and at this time, there were thousands and thousands of people who took their own life. It was actually the highest record level ever of people who committed suicide. Now, the hotel's earliest known suicide happened on November 19th, 1931, when a man named W.K. Norton, who was 46 years old, was found dead in his hotel room after he had ingested poison capsules. He had been staying at the hotel for about a week prior to committing suicide and had checked in under the name James Willies, so he didn't check in his real name. Now, less than a year after that, in September 1932, Benjamin Dodich, who was 25 years old, was found dead in his hotel room by a maid who went in to clean his room, and he had died from a gunshot wound to his head. And even though there was no suicide note left, it was confirmed by authorities that his death was a suicide. Now, in July 1934, a former army medical sergeant named Lois D. Borden, who was 53 years old, was found in his room at the Cecil after he had slit his throat with a razor. Lewis did leave several suicide notes and claimed that the reason for his suicide was his bad health conditions. Now this next death, authorities were actually never able to confirm whether or not this was an accident or suicide. In in March 1937, Grace Magro fell from her ninth story room, and when she fell, she actually fell onto telephone wires that were then wrapped around her body. And while her fall didn't kill her, she did end up passing away at the hospital. Then, less than a year later, in January 1938, a 35-year-old U.S. Marine Corps fireman named Roy Thomas had been staying at the Cecil Hotel for several weeks before he had jumped from the top floor of the hotel and was found on top of a neighboring building. Then, a little over a year later after that, in May 1939, a Navy officer by the name of Erwin Neblet was found dead in his room after he had also injected poison. And then, in 1940, a woman named Dorothy Skiger, who was 45 years old, had also ingested poison, and she was staying at the Cecil Hotel too and the LA Times reported her as being near death when they covered the story. However, her current condition was never released after that, so she very well could have died from this, but that has never been confirmed. So in the 1930s alone, which was just three years after the hotel had opened its doors, the Cecil Hotel saw an unimaginable amount of deaths. To have six suicides in one hotel within 10 years is extremely uncommon. So because of this, it definitely started the hotel off by having a very eerie and questionable reputation. So now we move on to September 1944. And during this time is when 19-year-old Dorothy Jean Purcell was staying at the hotel with her 38-year-old boyfriend named Ben Levine. Now, while staying at the hotel, Dorothy got up in the middle of the night with what she referred to as stomach pains. And according to her, she got up and went to use the bathroom. And when she was in there, to her surprise, she ended up actually giving birth to a baby boy. And according to Dorothy, she said she had absolutely no idea that she was even pregnant. So all of this came as a huge shock to her. Now, when Dorothy had her son, she said that she thought that he was dead, so because of this, she ended up throwing her baby out of the window of the hotel and onto the building next door. Now, the fact of the matter was, though, was that her baby was actually alive, so she ended up getting arrested for this. However, after undergoing psychological evaluations, it was determined that Dorothy was mentally confused, so she ended up not being able to sit trial and instead was admitted to a hospital for psychiatric treatment now whether or not the baby was alive when he was born throwing a baby out of a building is obviously illegal which was why she was ultimately arrested three years later in november of 1947 a 35 year old man named robert smith committed suicide after jumping out of his hotel room while he was staying on the seventh floor and then about seven years after that on the same exact floor a stationary firm employee who lived in san francisco named helen gurney had also jumped from the window of her cecil hotel hotel room she had been staying at the hotel for a week before her suicide and when she checked in she had also changed her name and she checked in under the name margaret brown Eight years later, on February 11, 1962, a 50-year-old woman named Julia Francis Moore had jumped from the window of her room on the 8th floor. Julia did not leave a suicide note and police also found a bank book in the hotel room showing a balance of $1,800 after her death. Then, just a couple months after that, on October 12th, 1962, a 27-year-old woman named Pauline Oton jumped from the window of her room on the ninth floor after she had gotten into an argument with her husband. Now, according to her husband, he had left the room right before she decided to jump to her death. Now, when Pauline jumped out of the window, she actually ended up falling onto another pedestrian who was just walking along on the sidewalk and killed him instantly. This pedestrian was a man named George Gianni who was 65 years old at the time now because there were no witnesses at the time of this authorities assumed that they actually knew each other and had decided to commit suicide together however it was later discovered that this was not the case because george was found with his shoes on and his hands in his pockets and authorities concluded that had he jumped from the window his shoes would have flown off of his feet now, before we move on to the first murder at the Cecil, I want to bring up a name to you guys that you are probably very much familiar with if you are interested in the true crime world, and that is because it was actually someone whose case we covered on last year's Halloween, and that would be the Black Dahlia. If you guys remember, or maybe you don't if you're a newer listener or have never heard of this case before, in 1947, 22-year-old Elizabeth Short was found brutally murdered and mutilated in a park in Los Angeles. Now, to this day, her case remains unsolved, but the reason I'm bringing this up is because it has been said that Elizabeth was last seen at the Cecil Hotel. Now, she is not believed to have died there. However, she was seen there. And I just wanted to bring it up because again, it is another very eerie connection. So now let's talk about the first known murder. So on June 4th, 1964, a woman named Goldie Osgood, also known as Pigeon Goldie, was murdered in the Cecil Hotel. She was a retired telephone operator, and she got her nickname because she was known to feed birds in a nearby park called Pershing Square. On June 4th, Goldie was found dead in her room by a hotel employee, and when Goldie was discovered, she had been raped, beaten, and stabbed to death. Her room was also found completely ransacked. Now, next to her body was an LA Dodgers hat that she always wore, as well as a sack full of bird seeds. Now, just hours after her body was discovered, a 29-year-old man named Jacques Ellinger was seen walking through Pershing Square, the same park that Goldie would always feed the birds at, and when he was found, he was seen in blood-stained clothing, a Authorities were contacted and they ended up arresting him for the murder of Goldie. However, after his arrest, he was eventually cleared of having any involvement, so to this day, Goldie's murder remains unsolved. In 1976, there was a man named Jeffrey Paley who purchased a gun and climbed to the top of the Cecil Hotel. Once he got to the rooftop, he ended up firing 15 rounds to the street below, and shortly after the shots were fired, he ended up getting arrested. Luckily, no one was harmed in the situation and Jeffrey tried to defend himself by saying he wasn't trying to kill anyone. He just wanted to show how easy it would be for a person suffering from mental health issues to purchase a firearm. So now we're going to move on to someone you guys may or may not be familiar with, and this is a man named Richard Ramirez, otherwise known as the Night Stalker. Richard was a serial killer known for murdering at least 14 people and torturing dozens more before he ended up getting arrested. To give you a brief background on Richard, he was born in Texas in 1960 to immigrant parents named Mercedes and Julian Ramirez. He was the fifth child in his family and throughout his young adult life, he began an interest in Satanism. His first known murder was committed on June 28, 1984, when he murdered 79-year-old Jenny Vincow. He sexually assaulted her and stabbed her to death. He struck again nine months later when he killed two people in one night, and then 10 days later, he murdered another 65-year-old man and his wife. Richard kept his crimes in the areas of Los Angeles and San Francisco, and he got his name the Night Stalker because he would break into homes of people at night. After his first few crimes, his MO really began to narrow down and became much more specific. He chose homes that contained a husband and a wife, and his method of killing was usually shooting the husband first, and then he would rape the wife before stabbing her to death. Now, some of these homes that he would break into also had children inside of them. However, he would usually never go after the children. If anything, he would tie them up while he was attacking the parents, and then by the time he would leave, he would untie the kids and tell them to go to the neighbor's house to get help, and then he would just take off. Richard also incorporated satanic rituals into his killings, either forcing his victims to pray to Satan, or say that they loved Satan. Even when he got arrested and went to trial at his first court appearance he raised his hand that had a pentagram drawn on it and yelled hail satan in the courtroom he was arrested on august 30th 1985 and four years later on september 20th 1989 he was charged with 13 counts of murder five counts of attempted murder 11 sexual assaults and 14 burglaries He was sentenced to death by gas chamber. However, he ultimately died 24 years later from complications relating to B-cell lymphoma. Now, like I said, Richard's murders, for the most part, took place in LA. And at the end of his murdering spree, he ended up moving up to San Francisco to continue his killings. However, in the beginning, the majority of his murders did take place in LA. And while he was in LA, he needed a place to stay. And he ended up spending a lot of his time at the Cecil Hotel. He would stay there quite often because rooms at that time were only $14 a night. And after his killings, Richard would go back to the Cecil and would either take his clothes off in the back that had been soaked in blood and throw them in the dumpster. And he would literally walk into the hotel in his underwear and it wouldn't be questioned. Okay, we're gonna take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. According to a man named Richard Chavez, who ran one of the bus tours in LA, he said, quote, The Cecil Hotel, along with a couple others, just became these giant coral reefs for the worst people in the world. By 1990, the LAPD wouldn't even go into these places. It was like, if we're called, we'll go in, but we're not patrolling, end quote. So even though Richard never committed any of his crimes in the hotel, it's extremely eerie to know that this is where he resided after his killings and he would just freely walk in and walk out during his murder spree. Now we move on to another serial killer who spent a lot of time at the Cecil, and this was a man named Jack Unterweger. The names the media gave him included Jack the Writer and the Vienna Strangler. Jack was an Austrian serial killer who murdered 11 prostitutes in Vienna, Prague, and Los Angeles between 1990 and 1992, even though his first reported murder occurred in 1974. Jack was born in 1951 and there were allegations that his mother used to be a sex worker while simultaneously working as a waitress. Now, during Jack's teenage years, he also worked as a waiter, and while doing so, he did chalk up quite the record. He ended up getting arrested 16 times for theft-related offenses, however, was also arrested multiple times for sexual assault he spent eight years in jail and when he committed his first murder in 1974 he ended up murdering a woman by strangling her with her own bra and he was actually sentenced to life in prison for this however he got released in 1990 after he had completed the minimum 15 years of his life term but once he got out of prison his killings only continued he was known to strangle his victims with their own lingerie And Jack also resided at the Cecil Hotel while living in LA. He worked for an Austrian magazine and wrote articles about crime in LA, ironically enough. Now, because he was technically a reporter, he used it to his advantage completely, and he was able to drive around with the LAPD and learn some of the -the behind-the-scenes secrets that they did. And what Jack did is he used these secrets to help his own crimes and help him learn how not to get caught. So he definitely used this reporter-journalist job to his advantage. So while he wasn't out killing, he was also staying at the Cecil. So it's just another serial killer who was resided there who just adds on to the reasons as to why this hotel has its terrible reputation. So now we're going to talk about a case that connects to the Cecil that you guys have been requesting to be covered for a while now, and it's always been on my list to cover. However, it wasn't until I started researching the hotel that I realized the connection here, and that is the case of Elisa Lamb. In 2013, 21-year-old Elisa was visiting Los Angeles. She was a student at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver and was last seen on January 31st, 2013, the day that she was supposed to check out of the hotel. However, that never ended up happening. When Elisa's parents didn't hear from her that day, they knew that something was wrong. So they contacted the LAPD to file a missing persons report for Elisa and they also immediately flew to LA to help with the search. They knew right then and there the first day that something was wrong. For Elisa to just kind of go off the grid was not in her character whatsoever, so her family immediately took this extremely seriously. Now, hotel staff at Cecil said that they saw Elisa that day alone, and there was also a bookstore manager who saw Elisa outside of the hotel that day and said that she seemed completely normal. She seemed fine. She seemed outgoing, seemed in a good mood. Nothing seemed off. Now, Now, the reason that this bookstore manager saw her at all to begin with was because Elisa was at the bookstore trying to buy books for her family, and the bookstore manager remembers having a conversation with Elisa about the weight of the books and if they would be too heavy to travel with. Now, when authorities heard about Elisa's case, they ended up bringing in search dogs throughout the hotel to look in Elisa's room as well as throughout the other rooms in the hotel, but they couldn't pick up any scent. Now, on February 15th, there was actually a video that was released by the LAPD of Elisa, and it was the last known sighting of her, and it was her walking into the elevator of the hotel. Now, if you've heard of this case, then you've probably seen the video that I'm talking about. And once this video was released to the public, it caught everyone's attention, and it was because of the strange behavior that Elisa was exhibiting throughout it. To give you a breakdown of the video, Elisa is seen entering the elevator. And once she gets in, she is seen clicking on several different buttons of floors. And once she does that, she immediately steps back in the corner of the elevator. And when the doors don't immediately close, she is seen quickly peeking her head out of the elevator doorway and looking right and left, almost as if she was worried someone was watching her or someone was going to come into the elevator with her. It definitely seemed like a sign of paranoia. Elisa then stood in the corner of the elevator and then walks out of the elevator completely again, looks side to side, is seen walking down the hall, and then comes back and gets back into the elevator, where she clicks more buttons of floors again, and then she puts both of her hands over her ears and turns to the right. She is then seen moving her arms in strange motions, and then the elevator doors finally close. Now, when this video got out, a lot of people were spitting out their theories. Some thought that she was on drugs, some thought that she was being followed, and that's why she was acting so strange, And then it was released that Elisa actually had bipolar disorder, so it was then thought that maybe her bipolar could have been the result of her behavior. Now, leading up to the discovery of Elisa, several guests of the hotel were complaining about the water in the hotel. They were saying that their water pressure was low, some were saying that their water was black, and some were complaining of the taste of the water. Then, on February 19th, Elisa's body was found in a 1,000-gallon water tank. Now, the Cecil Hotel had four of these tanks that provided water to all of the hotel rooms, as well as the kitchen and the coffee shop, and that's where Elisa's body was discovered. Two days later, on February 21st, the coroner's office said that Elisa's cause of death was accidental drowning, with her bipolar disorder being a significant factor in her death. The coroner's report also stated that Elisa's body had been found with no clothes on, however, the clothes similar to the ones she was seen wearing in the elevator were found floating in the water. There was no evidence of physical trauma or sexual assault. They also did a toxicology screening and the results came back incomplete because there was not enough blood preserved in Elisa's body. However, they were able to find some traces consistent with her prescription medication. Now, the big question in Elisa's case to this day is how did she get in to the water tank? The doors and the stairs that access these tanks in the hotel are locked at all times and staff are the only ones that have the passcode and the keys. It was also stated that if anyone had attempted to force the doors open, they would trigger an alarm system. Now, one theory was that Elisa could have used the fire escape on the side of the hotel because that's really the only real way she could have gone up there without setting off some alarm system. Now, the tanks were also covered with heavy, heavy lids, and when the hotel workers do need to get into the tanks, they have to use a ladder to look into the water. So, the question still stands on how Elisa ended up getting into the water because there was no ladder. So, it still is an unanswered question to this day. Now, this is another example of a bizarre and terrifying and horrific event and tragedy that occurred at the hotel, and this one is probably the most widely known case that occurred at the Cecil. However, after what we've learned today, it is certainly not the first now in 2011 the cecil decided that because of the reputation of their hotel so this was even before elisa's case the reputation of the hotel the negative reputation was heavily affecting their business obviously when you have so many tragedies happen and people are dying left and right you wouldn't really want to stay there So the hotel decided to change things and they ended up rebranding. They changed their name from the Cecil Hotel to what it is now referred to as, which is Stay on Main. They upped their prices a little bit on their rooms as well, and I wasn't able to find the specifics though because they are currently closed due to COVID, so I couldn't find their nightly rate. Now, in 2011, a New York City developer actually signed a 99-year lease because they wanted to basically just gut the hotel and re-renovate the entire building, which I don't think has happened yet. I know that they have made minor renovations, however, it hasn't been anything like an entire gut renovation. So I'm not sitting here telling you that the Cecil Hotel is filled with ghosts and haunted hallways, but what I'm telling you is that the amount of tragedy and deaths that have taken place here is absolutely mind-blowing. Nowhere else in the country is there a hotel that has experienced so many unsolved deaths, along with the serial killers that have coincidentally stayed there as well. People have reviewed the hotel and have said that they definitely did feel a weird and eerie sense when walking in. The hotel feels heavy, it feels haunted, it feels like there is a lot of death and tragedy. It's almost this inexplainable feeling that people have described when entering the hotel. And I'm not gonna lie, I have looked at pictures of this hotel countless times when doing my research on it and it looks pretty creepy not gonna lie, it looks a little strange. I don't think that I would want to stay there other than for the reason of just figuring, like, getting that full experience of staying at a quote-unquote haunted hotel, but this is not anywhere that I would ever stay because I want to necessarily if that makes sense but it is really interesting to read the reviews on the hotel because people have definitely said that they feel a haunted feeling which is crazy and i'm sure it's crazy walking in thinking about all of the tragedy that's occurred there thinking about the serial killers who have stayed there So I'm super interested in hearing what you guys have to say about the hotel. I was absolutely fascinated by learning about it all, so I'm super eager to hear what you guys think. So would you ever stay here? Is this some place that would interest you? Do you think that all of the tragedy that occurs here is just a coincidence, or do you think that there is a deeper-rooted something here. So I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say. And with that being said, you guys, that is the end of day three of Halloweek. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another Halloween episode here on Killer Instinct. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We post every Wednesday here on Killer Instinct. You will not want to miss it. And right now we're in the best time of the year. We are in the middle of Halloween, So I will actually be back again tomorrow with a brand new true crime episode. We are doing back-to-back episodes leading up to Halloween. So with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Like I said, I will be back tomorrow with another crazy true crime case for you. And until then, stay safe, I'll see you tomorrow.
0: So I I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can bother me because you're never a bother whether it's a low point or a crisis get help for yourself or a friend learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988 available 24 7